I love it uh, to see uh, God's family gather around those who are um, facing difficulties and struggling. Thank you for caring so beautifully. The Crime of Christmas is the title of a provocative essay by a man, an English professor at Calvin College in Minnesota. His name is Lionel Basney. And according to Basney, the crime of the true crime of Christmas is the way we, quote, heap pretensions on its beauty and simplicity. We heap pretensions on the beauty and the simplicity of Christmas. In other words, we try and force our culture, our preoccupations, our self-indulgence, our noise, our glitter and glitz and foil and festives. We force our culture's values on the Christ event. Basney says, that's a sin. We need to see the Christ experience, the Christmas event for what it is. Now, the absurdity of commingling culture and Christmas uh, it was impressed on me a few years ago when I went to a, a Christian bookstore. Uh, it's the one that used to be a Berean Christian bookstore up uh, on Baseline. I don't know if there's any Berean Christian bookstores in town anymore, but uh, several years ago I visited there, and along with the other things that annoy me, like, um, you know, Christmas Chinese cookies that you open up and find a Christmas wish, please help us, Lord, and uh, Christmas mints that are, have little verses stamped on the mints as you suck them away. I don't get that. But, so that, that bothers me, but what really bothered me that day was finding this model of the creche, which is wonderful, you know, the manger and Jesus and the shepherds and Joseph and the whole deal, and peering over into the manger was Santa Claus. Now, I don't know about you, but that totally irritated me. I mean, Come on, shepherds and Santa abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night? I don't think so, you know. The jolly old elf doesn't belong to the adoring shepherds and gift-giving kings and the infinite God is a baby, you know. We, we've got to get this thing straightened out. We've got to get back to the beauty and wonder and simplicity of Christmas. And may I suggest that um, the text that we're going to read today from Luke chapter 1 helps us discover that. So part of the passage that I'm going to read today is uh, Ryan, Pastor Ryan's taught us a song about that, uh, Mary's song. It's called the Magnificat. And it's Mary's song. It's found in the first chapter of Luke. And it's a beautiful song, Mary's response to what the angels have told her. So listen to this wonderful song. Uh, there's an introduction first, a paragraph I'll read, and then the song begins, and I'll let you know when that happens. But you'll find this in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39, if you have your Bibles, if you have iPads, iPhones, be sure and uh, take those out and follow along. It's in your bulletin. We'll put it up on the screen as well. This is Luke chapter 1, and we're reading Mary's song. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth is 
pouring out her heart. So she has John the Baptist, you know, in her womb, and, and she's just praising God for what's happening in Mary's womb. And then she goes on and says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So Elizabeth is saying about Mary, blessed is she. I mean, she heard this and she believes it and it's going to happen. Now that's kind of weird. Mary is a virgin. She's never had sex and she's going to have a baby and this is amazing. And so Mary begins this beautiful, it's, it was written as a song or a poem, but she begins this beautiful song. Listen to Mary's song. Then Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has, he has been mindful of the humbled state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. There's that beautiful song. And then Mary closes. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Luke, somehow through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seemed to realize the overwhelmingness of the Christmas event. In Mary's song, it has captured the beauty and the mystery and the wonder of the foretold birth of the Messiah. It seemed that both the women, both Mary and Elizabeth, recognized that something, not ordinary, but something miraculous was happening. They didn't press the angel for an explanation. The Bible says they simply believed. And that's really what I'd like to share with us this morning. To avoid the crime of Christmas, heaping pretensions that we have on the holiday, to avoid the crime of Christmas, we must believe and not necessarily understand. We must experience Christmas, not explain it. We must revel in its, ministry, in its mystery and not reveal it. So... Um, Friday night was our annual staff Christmas party. And uh, we went to, uh, you know, that, that standard, you know, uh, Christmas food. We went to a Chinese restaurant and uh, to Dragon Walk. It was great. And then we went to Zoo Lights. And uh, so it was the whole crew. Everybody was there except for Pastor Barb and her family. By the way, please continue to pray for Pastor Barb. She's been diagnosed with valley fever and uh, she, you know, she does everything she can to get here Sunday and make it happen for the kids, but she's really been struggling for the last three months physically, so pray for uh, Pastor Barb. So we're at, uh, we're at Zoo Lights, and uh, the kids are there, and we love having the kids around. Adeline is there, and, and Chloe, and Aislinn, and Sabina, and Drew, the five, uh, you know, musketeers, and it was just awesome. And what was wonderful, though, about watching these children just experience Christmas, now, how many of you have been to the Zoo Lights? You've seen it? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? 
And uh, you go around, and I mean, Sabina the whole time was just kind of pointing at the lights, you know, like this, you know. And, and, and the kids were just in awe. And they're in awe most of the time, except for when Pastor Brian was giving them popcorn to feed the ducks. I mean, he's still, he's still a kid himself. But the, the whole time, there was this sense of wonder and awe. And the kids didn't need to understand a lot about Christmas. They just experienced it. That's what we need to do, approach this wonderful, beautiful story like children. Mary and Elizabeth were simply obedient and faithful. And that's what I want us to be, is simply obedient and faithful to the mystery of the Christmas event and its power. So this morning, I invite you, at least for the next few moments, I invite you to get lost, okay? To get lost, in the words of the famous hymn writer, Charles Wesley, to get lost in wonder love, and praise. Now, I'm not an existentialist, but I'm an engineer by trade, right? So uh, this experiential stuff always kind of seems to elude me. But as I read the Christmas story, I recognize that that's what God wants us to do. Sometimes just stop trying to figure everything else, uh, try to figure everything out, and just enjoy and to be, to get lost in wonder, love, and praise. So there's two things from the passage that I want to bring to your attention. The first is this. Christmas is to be believed even when we do not understand. Now, even though I'm a scientist by heart and I love explanations, I mean, every time somebody says that they found some gopher wood on Mount Ararat or we hear about the Shroud of Turin or something like that, my heart begins to beat because I love explanations and, and, and all of that. But you know what? Those things don't make any difference. There's something inside me that rebels against having to always have an explanation. I want to be lost in the beauty of a rainbow. I want to believe in the magic and power of people. I remember when I was a boy, my grandfather would take me out to his shop and he would show me how to magnetize a screwdriver. And that was amazing. And I thought grandpa knew everything. I just love the magic and power of people. And I want to believe in the miracle on 34th Street. I know I'm a sap, but I want to believe that. I'm going to show you a clip from that uh, great movie, the 1994 version. The 1947 version is the classic, but some of you get weird if you're, it's in black and white. So in this clip, uh, Chris, Kling, Chris Kringle uh, is said to be a lunatic by his enemies and, uh, because he claims to be Santa. But his lawyer friend wants him to stand up for himself and, uh, well, take a look at what happens. I think you'll enjoy it. Cops believe in you. A lot of people do. More will when we're finished. Finished We're going to court. There's a hearing Thursday to decide if you're to be committed. I'm going to defend you. Together, we're going to prove that there is a Santa Claus and that you're him. <laughs> I'm ready, Counselor. We have a few days to distance ourselves from this scandal and restart our advertising. Of Mrs. Walker, we are in conference. I have just read your press release. You are all such a bunch of cowards. You really don't deserve to run the store. You are entirely out of line, Mrs. Walker. We have spent millions telling people that we are the store that cares. Well, what is it that we care about? Profits? Ourselves, our jobs? But what about one of our own who needs us now? Uh, 
am I to do? The public perception of Chris is that he's out of his mind. He's dangerous. We have to change that. If we stand with Chris, if we challenge the rumors and the scandal sheets, if we force the truth, we'll win. He's going into court with the best attorney in the city. And he is going to prove that Chris is not crazy. For the sake of the whole company, I think that all of you should decide about whether or not you believe in Santa Claus. For the last 75 years, Coles has invited Santa Claus to meet and greet the children of New York City in our 34th Street store. Coles believes in Santa Claus. And we will stand by him. He has done nothing but serve the children and the families of New York City and the world. We invite you to join with us and ask yourself this one simple question. Believe in Santa Claus. Yes, sir! Oh, yeah! You're the I don't want Santa in the major scene, but I believe in Santa Claus. We don't need to always have to figure everything out. We don't need to explain all of the events. We simply say, I believe. I read in the paper a while back about a family that moved from Fresno to West Los Angeles, distance of about 300 miles. They left their cat behind, which in my opinion is not a bad move. Six months later, the cat showed up on the doorstep. Six months later, 300 miles, scientists stumble over their words, talking about things such as built-in radar and such. They haven't a clue how that happens. The swallow returns to Capistrano. Salmon swim upstream. The Cardinals can't beat the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, these are, well, until today, these are mysteries of life that defy explanation. So it is with Christmas. I mean, the virgin birth? <laughs> Come on. Elizabeth being pregnant at an old age? The God of the universe coming to earth as a baby? How outrageous. How illogical. How miraculous. How wonderful. Elizabeth said of Mary in Luke 1.45, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. 
She didn't understand it, but she believed it, and she embraced it. Now, she had the advantage of being confronted by an angel. That would be helpful, but she believed this miraculous thing that was to take place with her. Uh, in the church that I served in Denver, Lakewood Covenant Church, back in the uh, 80s, uh, the chairman of our church was a, man, was a man by the name of Gene Whitney. Gene was one of these guys that was uh, brilliant, uh, uh, just a brilliant man. And uh, he had his uh, PhD in geology. He was the top U.S. geological survey guy. In, then he was stationed in uh, Lakewood, where the federal center is in Denver. And later he was moved to Washington, D.C. I mean, he was a direct report to George W. Bush. So this guy was, was brilliant. When he was, young, when he was doing his Ph.D. work, uh, he had grown up in a non-Christian home, Everything about him was about intellect and, you know, proof and all of that. And somebody gave him a copy of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And he read it. And he read it. And he read it again. And everything in it seemed to go against everything he'd ever been taught about science and about reality and all of those things. And eventually, this, this word that C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity just got to him. And it's this. He says, sometimes you simply have to say... I don't understand everything, but I believe. That's C.S. Lewis. And Gene Whitney, this brilliant guy, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Some of you here today are like that. Well, but I still have some questions. Yeah, I'm, sure not, I'm not sure how this evolution things work. I don't know if I can believe in a virgin birth. You know, I have all these kind of questions. And I understand that. And I've, I've dealt with those and struggled with those questions all of my life. Sometimes we just simply take Christianity and the Christmas event and try to dissect it like a frog. But it's not. It's God dwelling in us. The Mary miracle. You've heard that. The Mary miracle. Christ comes alive in us and takes root in us and grows in us and comes forth from us and changes the world around us. That's the Mary miracle. We've experienced it. You can't fully explain it. You just know it's true. Martin Luther understood the essence of Christmas in a way that I find really compelling. This is what he said. He whom the world could not enwrap, yonder lies in Mary's lap. Not fully understanding the event, just simply saying, wow, Jesus is alive. I mean, you may never understand fully Christ's love for you. You may not fully understand the grace and the mercy that God has poured out upon you. But let me tell you this morning, December 22nd, 2013, it is true. It is true. Whether you understand it or not, whether you know it or not, it is true. God's love is for you. He said in the Bible, in the book, last book of the Bible, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and lets me in, I will come in and stay with him. You can believe. And like C.S. Lewis said, you simply say, well, I believe. I don't understand everything. I haven't made everything clear, but I believe. That's what Christmas is, believing and not always understanding. The other thing I want to share with you this morning is this. The Christmas event is to be experienced rather than explained. Now, you know the story of the shepherds in the Christmas event. Uh, they heard about the coming Messiah for, from a bunch of angels, and this is what we read in Luke 2.15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
Well, how do they know? Well, they haven't seen it yet, but they believe the angels, and they say, that thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, they could have argued with the angels. They could have demanded to see ID, of course. They could have said, you know, I don't know. I've never seen an angel before. I'm not sure you're really an angel. They could have said, well, like Scrooge, well, it's a, it's a bad piece of beef or an undercooked potato. It's, it's just not real. I don't believe in that. But instead, they believed and then experienced the birth of the Savior. They experienced for themselves. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in explaining Christmas, we fail to enjoy the experience. Let me give you one historical example. Dr. Clement Seymour was a divinity professor, and his specialty was theological papers and treatises. And uh, Dr. Moore was especially fascinated by the, what he called the theological and eschatological expressions of the Incarnation, and he wrote dozens of papers and treatises trying to explain the Christmas event. Well, none of his treatises are remembered today. I'll bet none of you have read any of them. But something he did write is remembered today. One snowy afternoon a few days before Christmas, he happened to notice an old Dutch gentleman with red cheeks and white hair smoking an old clay pipe. And he was enchanted by the festivity and the joy of the season. He was moved to write a verse for his children, and so he did. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring." Not even a mouse. Dr. Moore's greatest contribution was not all of his hard labor in trying to explain Christmas, but simply a poem that came from his heart when he experienced the wonder of the season. It's like the pastor and his family who were writing to Christmas Eve service, very excited about the Christmas Eve service, and, and one of the kids in the back seat said, Dad, uh, this Christmas Eve... Um, are you going to let us just enjoy Christmas or are you going to try to explain it? You know, So sometimes we get so wrapped up in trying to explain Christmas, we forget about the reality of the experience. There's nothing wrong with explanations. I love them. But there is something much more powerful than, it's an, than an explanation. Maybe you've heard about the uh, missionary from Zaire. Uh, he was served the Lord faithfully his entire life. For about 35 years, he and his wife were going to retire, move back to the States, and a young guy out of seminary was going to come and take his place at this wonderful church in a village in Zaire. And so all the people gathered, they're very excited to hear about this new missionary, this new young man, a lot of new energy and everything. And so he came and the audience was assembled and everybody was there. The young man was going to preach and the old missionary was going to translate because the young man hadn't learned the language yet. And so the young man began by saying this, we must always remember that there is an infinite and qualitative distinction between the eternal gospel and all the historical manifestations of it under the contingencies of human existence. And then he looked at the old missionary, sorry, so he'd, he'd kind of interpret it, and the old missionary just kind of looked back at him and he said, friends, he says he loves you and he's glad he's here. It's all I got for you. You can't explain love. We always try. You have to experience it. You can't explain Christmas, but you can embrace the Christ of Christmas. You see, Jesus came to give you and me life, 
and life that can't even fully be understood. He came to die for your sins, which how can somebody else do that for you? You can't fully understand the gospel message until you simply say, yes, I believe. My favorite Christmas story, I tell this at least, well, not at least, I tell this once a year, every Christmas, at some sermon, and this is the one where you get it today. This is your favorite story for some of you as well. Anytime someone mentions a Christmas pageant in the Midwest, the name Wallace Perling usually comes up. It was going to be a wonderful pageant. The entire town was going to be involved in it. And Wallace Perling, who was in the second grade, he was nine years old, he should have been in the fourth grade, because he was somewhat slow of movement and of mind. He had his heart set on being a shepherd. But the shepherds had too many lines, Mrs. Trumbull, the director of the pageant, believed. And so she suggested that Wallace become the innkeeper. There was only two short lines, and she felt like if he worked really hard, he could do that. So he worked very hard in his lines, and he memorized them, and it was very exciting. So the night came when the whole town turned out for the big production. No one on stage was more into the program than Wallace Perling. He was so excited. He had his parts memorized, and he was ready to go. And so Joseph and Mary slowly, quietly, very difficultly, they walk up to the door of the inn, and they knock on the door. Wally, from the other side of the door, said with the correct amount of gruffness, what do you want? We seek lodging, Joseph said. Seek it elsewhere. Wally came out of the door and looked straight ahead at Joseph and Mary, and he spoke vigorously. He said, the inn is filled. Sir, we have been everywhere in vain. We have traveled very far, and we are very weary. There is no room in the inn, he said, and I don't care. You just, there's no room in the inn. He kind of got a little funny at that point. And, and then Joseph said again, please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She is heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you have some small place, some small corner where she can lie. And now for the first time, the innkeeper, his stiffness and his resolve seemed to disappear. He looked down at Mary. He looked down at Joseph. And with that, there was this long pause, uncomfortable pause. Everybody in the audience thought, oh no, Wally's forgotten his line. Finally, from the side, there's this, uh, this encouragement, this cue. Uh, the prompter said, no, be gone. And with a big voice, Wally said, no, be gone. Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary and put his arm around her. She laid her head on his shoulder, and they started to walk away, very sad, very broken, but the innkeeper on that queue was supposed to go back inside the inn, but he did not. Instead, he stood there. And you could tell that he was looking at this desperate couple walking his way. His mouth was open. His brow was creased with concern, and his eyes were unmistakably filling with tears. It was right then that Wally realized exactly what had happened that night. And suddenly, the Christmas pageant changed forever. Don't go, Joseph, Wally cried out. Bring Mary back. 
And Wallace Perling's face filled with a bright smile. He said, she can have my room. Now, there were some grouches in the audience that said that, um, well, that wasn't the way the story was supposed to go. But most people felt that it was probably the best Christmas story they had ever heard. Put yourself in the story. That's what Wally did. Get lost in wonder, love, and praise. Get caught up in the wonder and the mystery of the event. Christ is only truly experienced, experienced when you allow Jesus into your heart. The last two Sundays, there have been several people that have invited Jesus into their hearts. And it's such a wonderful thing when you see this new life dawn in someone's eyes. Wally experienced that in his heart. We sing the chorus, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for you. You see, when Christ is in your life, Christmas is in you. It's not just around you. It's not just in the lights and the trees and the festivities and the, all the beautiful things that we see, but it's Christ is within you. It's an experience like no other. Mary said these words, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Believing and experiencing the Christ of Christmas leads us to praise in thanksgiving. So may I say this one last time to you, Hope Covenant Church, December 22nd, 2013. Let your spirit soar. Let the wonder and majesty of your experience with Jesus be real and above all, get lost these next three days. Get lost in wonder, love, and praise. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, what a joy it is to celebrate Christmas. But it's more than just uh, singing carols and enjoying all of the beauty and the festivities and, and yes, even all the stress and the difficulties. But Father, this holiday represents something that much of the world doesn't even know. It represents the fact that the Savior in the flesh came to this world. He grew up to die on the cross for our sins that we might be saved. And for that experience, for knowing Jesus, for experiencing his life in us, it's amazing. And so, Father, for all of us, and I, I, need, to, I need to hear this twice, Father, and I, so I will. I need to, as one person in this congregation, I need to experience you in a new way. And I just want to experience the love and the grace that you've given to me. And so, Father, help me to get lost. Help all of us to get lost in wonder, love, and praise. This Christmas season, may we experience the Christ of Christmas in a brand new way. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.